Hello, this is Bill Warner with another podcast on anything and everything related to political Islam. This is an interview of me by Jeff Wagner of the Patriot Review. My guest today is, is Dr. Bill Warner re- returning to talk some more about Islam. Today we're going to talk about statistics relating to Islam. Doctor, welcome back. I appreciate you being here. Glad to be here. So when you say statistical Islam, what exactly does that mean? What, what should our viewers understand about that? Well, first off, we need to start off with the fact that I'm a scientist and that I was fortunate enough to never study Islam in a university. And that may sound like an odd thing to say, but if you learn Islam in the university, you learn the apologist point of view. So I started out and all I did was to read the Quran and the Quran led me to the Sirah. Here's a statistic. There are 89 verses in the Quran which say that every Muslim is to imitate exactly what Muhammad did. So as a consequence, after you read the Quran, you have to read Muhammad's life. And that gives you the context. So I started just reading and I would, for instance, I had on my desk a copy of the Sirah, the Bhagavad Muhammad, had a copy of the Hadith by Bukhari, and I had a Quran. Uh Well, it was very obvious, just looking at them, that the Quran was very small, and the the material about Muhammad, the Hadith, and the Sirah were quite large. So I said to myself, being a science type, I said, let's make a chart out of this. So that we made a pie chart, and on it you could see something that stood out. And that's one of the things these statistics do, is they make it stand out as to exactly what it is you're doing. So it turns out that Islam, which is Quran, Sirah, Hadith, that's the doctrine of Islam, those three texts. And if it's in there, it's Islam, and if it's not in there, it's not Islam. Okay, so I think what you're saying is that everything we're going to share today, the statistics that we're going to share today, directly relate to those three texts and to and to history, I assume. Is that correct? Yes, precisely. All right. But now then, I think that's very interesting, that the doctrine of Islam is 86% Muhammad and only 14% Allah. Well, this totally turns the world upside down as to what most people think Islam is. Because they think Islam is a religion, but it's no Muslim says it's a religion. Instead, what we have is is that it is a complete way of life. So more of a Muslim's life is governed by how Muhammad did things and what he said and did than Allah. And it also there's another thing. I became interested in a concept that was in the Quran called the kafir. K-A-F-I-R, uh-huh. which is an Arabic word, which means unbeliever. That's you and me. Yep, I'm a kafir. Uh-huh. Well, it turns out, when you go through the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith, and count up the words, 51% of those words are about the kafir. Well, this is very strange, because if you read a Buddhist sutra, for instance, it's about how to be a Buddhist. 
It's not about condemning and cursing the non-Buddhist. Right. And yet that's what the doctrine does. But the statistics make this stand out. And I think that's very important. Uh-huh, absolutely. So what we find is, is that the statistics makes things easier to understand. For instance, one of the things it tells you is, if you want to learn about Islam, do not start by reading the Quran. You've said that before on here. Let me ask you, though, real quick. So when you share these statistics, I think the automatic reaction is going to be, well, the Bible, you know, what is the percentages for the Bible? How do you compare that? Well, let's take one. Okay. Let's take jihad. Now, if you count up all the words, first off, let's start with the fact that there are two Qurans, an early Quran written in Mecca and a latter Quran written in Medina. There is no jihad in the Meccan Quran, the first one, whereas 28% of the Quran written in Medina is about jihad. And well, this is very strange. And Muhammad's life is in between those two? Is that correct? Yes, he preached the gospel. That's ironic. He preached the, he preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and gained 150 followers who became Muslims. 13 years. And he went to Medina, where in 10 years' time, he converted all the Arabs on the Arabian Peninsula. So what we see here is there are two, so is, is, is Islam the religion of peace? Yes, it is. Is Islam the religion of jihad? Yes, it is. The politics of jihad is the better way to say it. I call this work about the Kafir, I call it political Islam because it is not religious Islam. Religious Islam deals with going to hell and are not going to hell, but going to paradise and avoiding hell. So I think, this, I think this, is this is important to point out. I mean, that's the first thing that hits my mind is, so the only thing that changed between the two is, it's kind of like, you know, people have said Islam needs to go through a reformation like Christianity did in order to change its direction. But the truth is that in a sense, it already did through the worldview of Muhammad who, who implanted his hatreds, his biases, his his um, attacking and chastising the non-believer. So, the, if anything, the reparation that went through Muhammad's eyes was the reverse of Christianity and ended up being a, a political system that included jihad. Right. Okay. Here's another reason you can't reform Islam, because this has come up many, many times. Well, let's just re we reform... Christianity was reformed, let's reform Islam. Right. Well, what is Islam? It's the Quran, perfect. The exact words of God. Well, how do you form, how do you reform perfection? Do you add something or do you take something away? Uh-huh, right, good point. So, if you add something to it, how could it still be perfect? If you take something away, how could it still be perfect? Then we come to Muhammad's life. The Sunnah of Muhammad is his way of life. And the Sunnah is found in the Hadith, little stories in, about Muhammad, and in the Sirah, his biography. 
so you were going to mention uh, statistics around, you were starting to talk about jihad. Um, and is there a percentage of time that, or a percentage of verses, or how do you how do you break that down to talk about the content statistically about jihad? Well, like I said, in Mecca, there's no jihad. In Medina, 28% of the Quran is about jihad. So this illustrates a very important point, Jeff, and that is what I call dualism. And this is a contribution. I'm going to toot my own horn here and say all of this statistical analysis, I'm the first person in 1,400 years who's done this. Now, one of the reasons for that is we now have electronic processing of data, which means I can... I can count how many words are in a chapter. Just look down in the lower left-hand corner of my screen and it says this many words. Uh So this kind of work had to wait until we had the ability to process data as we do now. I can see that, yeah, that makes sense. But what what I'm trying to do here is you also see that using these statistics is like an X-ray machine. You can see the, the bones of Islam. And one of those principles of Islam is dualism. There's always two things that, that can be said. 1,400 years, people have asked this question. Well, which one is the real one? Is the, are the Meccan verses, the peaceful verses, the real Islam? Or are the Medinan about jihad the real Islam? And my answer with dualism is, they're both Islam. But Bill, they contradict each other. That's because as a Westerner, we use, without even thinking about it, Aristotelian logic. And Aristotelian logic, if things contradict each other, at least one of them is false. So these statistics allow you to decide where you're going to start studying. Where you're going to start studying not with the Quran, but with Muhammad's life. It also explains to you, I, have, I sell a book called The Reconstructed Quran, a simple Quran. And what I did was, is I took the Quran, which is a mishmash, and put it in the right time order. How did I know the right time order? Because the verses go along with Muhammad's life, and he was in Medina. Mm-hmm. So we have the fact that all of a sudden, we're dealing with facts. We're not dealing with opinions. And we're also dealing with things that are now easy to understand. And we use Islamic logic. Because in Islamic logic, in Islamic logic the Quran itself addresses this. Because there, it is obvious to anybody that reads the Quran that it is contradictory. And in his own day, people ask Muhammad and says, well, you said this, and now you say that. And... Allah says, I can replace something with something that is better. So what happens is, is the Medinan Quran is the latter Quran. It is better than the Meccan Quran. But listen carefully. They're both true. Well, as well I say, that doesn't make sense. That's because you're talking as a Westerner. Yeah. But don't you understand if Allah is perfection, yeah. How could it possibly be that the Quran, the earlier verses are wrong? It can't be. And, and further, because I'm a pessimist, I also would, would believe that uh, people with the political agendas would use 
the earlier version to tell Westerners that there's nothing to fear from Islam. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suspect that's true. Do you know who tells you the truth about Islam? Jihadists. Right. They tell you the complete truth. As a matter of fact, you might be interested to know you're talking to the only man who has approval from Al-Qaeda as to my doctrine. I got a letter one time, email one time from a man who said, I grew up in Denmark. I converted to Islam in prison. I studied Islam under Anwar Alawaki, who was a Al-Qaeda mm -hmm. imam. And he said, he taught me Islam just like you say. So, Jeff, you're talking to the only man who's Al-Qaeda approved. Wow. That's really <laughs> quite amazing. That's really quite amazing. Well, I've had other uh, former Muslims say, no, you got it right. But, of course, no Muslim ever says I have it right. Mm -hmm. Nor will they. No, no, they're not going to do They're not going to do that. One of the things I love about this is, is that if I'm ever arguing or debating with Muslims, when I do things like, there are 13 verses in the Quran which state that a Muslim is never the true friend of a Kafir. They don't know what to do with that. Yeah. But they do know this. Kafir is the dirtiest word in any language. Allah hates Kafirs. Okay, he, he, makes, he makes Kafirs simply for the pleasure of burning them in hell. Now, when I refer to myself as a Kafir in front of Muslims, they go, oh, you're not a Kafir. Well, I give you a statistical answer. I do not read Arabic, but I took a transliterated Quran. That is, the, the sounds are spelled out in English alphabet. There are 345 verses in the Quran in which the word kafir means unbeliever. So therefore, I say that this proves the fact that Allah calls me a kafir, therefore I'm a kafir. But like I say, usually the Muslims, when they refer to kafirs, they say kafir hajjahs, which is filthy kafir. So you can see I use numbers. And once again, when I deal with Muslims, they don't know what to do with these numbers. They don't know there's 345 verses in the Quran in which the word kafir is translated as unbeliever. So I, I love it because of that. Do you have a like a, a short list of all these all these uh, st statistical facts? Like uh... yes, of course. I stumble into this. It was an oddity that I just sort of wrote down some figures in the margins. And then I've read the Quran more than any book I've ever read. I've read it cover to cover at least 10 times. And there was a time in my life, not anymore, when I was generating these figures in which I read it every day. So I became very skilled at noticing things. Like, for instance, the 13 verses that say that a kafir is never the friend. A Muslim is never the friend of a kafir. So is this list published, Bill? Is this part of, of your course. book? Of course. On uh, my website, politicalislam.com, 
I both sell books and there's also a section which says charts and statistics. So it'd be in that section? Yes. Okay. So I refer everybody again, that's politicalislam.com. You can see it on uh, Dr. Warner's name, name bar there. So what other statistics do you think it's important for our viewers to know? Well, like glad you asked that question. Let's see what we have here. Ah, let's take Jew hatred. And by the way, I use the term Jew hatred, not anti-Semitism. A colleague of mine, Andy Boston, who is a scholar on Islam, said, anti-Semitism, Bill, Semitic just means you speak a language that is related to Arabic. Okay. So that's... Uh... So it's Jew hatred. Okay. It's not anti-Semitism. All right. So here we sense. go. It turns out that when you come to Jew hatred, in the Meccan Quran, there's very little. Only 1% of the Meccan Quran deals with Jew hatred. That's the first one. 17% of the Quran written in Medina is about Jew hatred. Now, I read Mein Kampf and marked in all the Jew hatred that I could find. And it turns out that under Mein Kampf, we have 7% is Jew hatred. Wow. Whereas in the Quran, the Seer, and the Hadith, it's 9.3%. There is more Jew hatred in the Quranic doctrine than there is in Mein Kampf. Wow. That, that blows my mind. Well, you would think it would blow Jews' minds as well. Yeah. However, most of the Jews, particularly liberal Jews, are desperate to not have anything wrong with Islam. They operate from a position of fear. But, just, but now, if if I gave them a copy of Mein Kampf, they would freak out. But if you hand them a copy of the Quran, they'd say, oh, thank you. Wow. People don't want to face up to this. We have fought against Islam for 1,400 years with sword. We've never really fought Islam on the basis of doctrine. So I view myself, as, and people like me, as an intellectual warrior. I'd say that's a fair description. Okay, let's, let's get, get another one here. I'm having to search through papers here. Okay. I think you mentioned uh, the fear factor. I think that's the same thing the Americans are going through and uh, well, all Westerners. But I think the liberals in this country uh, you know, have really put us in jeopardy with their with their wokeism and their viewpoint. Uh, well, Muslims are viewed as a protected class right, politically, so right. you can't criticize them. Right. Now it's interesting here. The apologists for Islam use the Sharia. The Sharia says that no kafir can criticize Islam. And so when people decide to say you can't criticize Islam without knowing that they're invoking the Sharia, which is Islamic law. Here's another graph. Uh, for 13 years, Muhammad preached the religion of Islam and converted 150 people. When he died, all the Arabs on the Arabian Peninsula were Muslim. Now, what I have, what I'm, I've said this once before, but what we have here in front of me is a growth graph 
I'm the first person who's ever mapped the growth of Islam, like it's a business. But I'm, what I'm looking for here is searching, searching. Ah. Women. Eureka. Women. Now, what do you call it when you don't like women? There's a word for it which doesn't come to my mind. What, sexism? Okay, we'll call it sexism. There's, a, there's a, another word, but that's, that'll work right now. Diagnostic word? I, I don't know. Anyway, women are treated badly in Islam. Massacre. But, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. All right. But also they're treated quite well. So I took all the verses in the Quran that deal with women and put them in three stacks. Elevates women, women are equal, and denigrates women. So there's three stacks, three things. Okay. Now there's a fourth category of verses which have nothing to do with doing anything about women, good, bad, or indifferent. They're sort of like furniture or members of a on a play set, but they're not speaking roles. Here we go. In the Quran, 5% of the mentions of women have high status. What is that high status? They're praised as mothers. Then 23% of it, they're equal to man. But this equality is on judgment day. So a woman will be, a Muslim woman will be judged on by her what she did, just like the ban. Mm -hmm. But when you sign a contract, always read the fine print. One of the things that the woman is judged on, her job is to praise her husband. So even the, where they're equal, part of it depends on how she deals with her husband. Her husband is still over her. Right. Then, searching here, 71% of the verses in which women have low status. What do I mean by low status? Well, the Quran says it takes two women to equal the testimony of one man in a court of law. I say that denigrates women. I would say so. The oddest one to me. I have two daughters. My wife nursed both of them. According to Islam, I should be the one who would tell her, stop nursing the children. At a certain age that you feel appropriate. Yeah, the, what, what the hell business is out of mine? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, right. really, I mean, think about it. Right. I would never tell a woman when to stop nursing a child. I figured that was her business. Right. So I say that denigrates women. I would say so. And then there's the beating. Ah, Surah 4, women, starting verse 34, you're allowed to beat your wife. I think the word you were looking for was misogynistic. Yes, thank you. Uh -huh. it, so, but let's, let's answer the question. Does Islam treat women well? Yes, it does. Does Islam denigrate women? Yes, it does. This is, once again, is dualism. So what's the percentage of the um, of the the negative? Negative is 
80. So we've I'm very sorry. interesting now. We've talked about uh, jihad, which to me is always the most concerning. And we've oh, talked... let, me tell you, let me give you some statistics on jihad. Okay, go ahead. He said excitedly. <laughs> Muslims say, oh, well, there's two kinds of jihad. There's the real jihad. And the real jihad is doing well for others. It's a struggle. The other jihad is jihad of the sword. So I said, okay, let's talk about jihad. I took this, the hadith out of Bukhari. Counted them up. Out of all the things, the hadith that deal with jihad, 2% of them deal with Islam, as jihad as self-improvement or worship, or doing some difficult spiritual practice. 2%. Wow. 98% are about jihad of the sword. So is this, so is jihad peaceful struggle? Yes, it is, 2%. Is it killing Kafirs? Yes, it is, 98%. Do you see how these this way of speaking is very different? Mm-hmm. So you're not left with arguing which one's the real one. They're both real. Right. Two things can be true at the same time even if they contradict each other. Right. And that is the biggest, the strength of Islam is in dualism because everybody's heard good things about Islam. And so they figure, well, if the good things are true, the bad things cannot be true. Mm-hmm. That's because you're thinking like a Westerner. In Islam, they can both be true, the good and the bad. You know, I would think that, I would, I would uh, say that's because you're thinking as a modern Westerner. Even even as close as World War II, it seems to me, and my belief is, is that Americans tended more to base things on people's actions. You know, they didn't, I think it's shown by some of, even some of the mistakes we made, like the Japanese Americans who got put in the camps. You know, we based those actions, we based that on, do, on the actions we saw in Pearl Harbor. Uh... You know, so at that point in time, maybe we were a little bit too far that way, and and that resulted in that piece of history. But um, don't you think Americans have kind of lost that, looking at actions and and just saying, yep, that is exactly what it appears to be? At 81 years of age, I do not recognize the country I live in now. Uh Uh-huh. I believe that 100%. I never thought that we'd be where we're at. No. I mean, I just can't, I never thought we'd argue about what a woman was. <laughs> no kidding. Can't answer that question. Or testify before Congress that men can have babies and have abortions, um, which happened this week. Another oh, thing, really? I missed that. Yeah. And another thing that happened this week was over in Africa. Yeah, more killing of Christians. Meanwhile, our president is talking about the persecution of Muslims. And, uh, you know, there's headline after headline, example after example of, of Christians being killed, and no one says a word about it. Uh, Let me give you a stat. I bet you've never interviewed a guest who qu- quoted so many numbers. I don't think so, actually. I became interested in how many people have died in jihad. Now, this is a reasonable question to ask. You can answer this 
question, how many people did Stalin kill? How many people did Mao Zedong kill? How many people did Cho, not Cho and Lai, Pol Pot? But no one, I, I, can, I can tell you how many Jews that Hitler killed, but no one can tell you how many, not even Christians can tell you how many Christians were killed. Here's how it breaks down. 60 million Christians over 1400 years, 80 million Hindus, 10 million Buddhists, and 120 million Africans. I call those the tears of jihad. Wow. And what's tragic to me is that no one seems to know these figures, nor are they interested in them. Yeah, that, that right there is the most stunning thing I've heard about, about really the destruction that Islam brings to the world. I've never heard that before. That's that's you you blow my mind twice. And that is scary because I don't have much left, so <laughs> I appreciate that. I've stood in churches and asked three questions. What's that? How many Muslims has this congregation converted? What do you do to support the Christians in the Middle East and Africa? And what powerful people have you offended? Today's churches are more concerned about being woke and accepting anybody and everybody, so the answers, I'm sure, are disappointing. Very. Yeah. Well, Very. we have to leave it there for today, but, you know, we're definitely continuing our talks. And uh, we can always bring more stats in as, as you want. Um, is there one thing you'd like to leave the audience with today? For 1,400 years, it's been that the knowledge about Islam was only accessible to college professors and imams. We live in a time, for the first time in 1,400 years, that a plumber and a bus driver can understand Islam if they're willing to buy the books and do the reading themselves. All so right. I encourage you to educate yourself. Right. And because go, by and large, everybody's lying to you. So go to politicalislam.com, politicalislam.com. There's tons of video. There's uh, courses there. There's books there. There's statistics there. Uh, Dr. Warner is, has been the, uh, the expert on Islam in uh, Western education and civilization, I think the big, the the, the most uh, ever, and uh, it's been a real honor to have you, Doctor. And I look forward to our continued discussions. So uh, thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more, please go to politicalislam.com or cspii.org.